The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. Welcome to the College Game Day podcast. I am your fill-in host, Pete Thamel, the great Reese Davis. Uh, is taking a morning off here today, and uh, there will be plenty to talk about in his absence. Obviously, one of the biggest news stretches in the sport this year has happened in the last, uh, I would say, 72 hours. Uh I guess no story would be bigger than Michigan, but uh, boy, Texas A&M tried to take over the headlines uh, on Sunday when they fired coach Jimbo Fisher, and they will be paying Fisher more than $76 million in buyout money. This is more than three times the largest amount of buyout money paid in the history of college football. Those are in public contracts. I doubt there has been a private firing um, that surpassed that mark. Uh, Essentially, Jimbo Fisher will get more in his first payments in uh, the next 120 days than the biggest buyout in uh, in in history. He gets a lump sum of 19.2 million, I believe, within the first 60 days. Uh, our Dave Wilson took the drive from Austin to College Station on uh, Sunday night for Ross Bjork's press conference, and Dave is kind enough to join us today. Uh, Dave, just curious, uh, what were your impressions in, uh, in in on the ground in Aggie Land of the firing of Jimbo Fisher? Well, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, there'd been a slow drumbeat of, of well, this this was year was going to be a make or break deal. So once I think once they lost to Tennessee and they had had a couple of these second half doldrums where they they didn't quite get over the hump and people started to turn after Tennessee. Uh, I'm talking the general the general fan base. There were still a lot of people on board, and then you know for for Roth. Uh, to say yesterday that really the Ole Miss loss to him was he came home and he was sitting outside with his family and just decided, you know, I need to call the president. Um, I think it just was like a slow, a slow burn that finally just, um, you know, people had decided this, this is year six. It's not happening. It's time to make a move. And they just did it. And regardless of, of winning by 41 points uh, on Saturday night, they went ahead and and made the move. And so I don't think there was a lot of surprise. I think there might be some surprise on the timing um after a win but um you know it sounded like more of a slow deliberate decision than something that was a a rash thing duck in neutral i think is the phrase we'll probably remember from that uh ross bjork press conference dave uh just walk me through a little bit of the vibe there on the ground right like you have this this proud program that hasn't won a league title since 1998 they have all this money they have all this ambition they have all this nil aggression um, why do you think it hasn't worked there? And what was the feel in the uh, in in the room on the ground in College Station? You know, the the I wrote a story when they hired Jimbo about their history of just trying everything. I mean, they you know, and they've made these record contracts. Um, you know, Bear Bryant had a record contract. Jackie Sherrill had a record contract. Jimbo had a record contract. I mean, they've they've tried everything. They've tried the hot up and comer with coach with Sumlin. They've tried. You know, Mike Sherman coming back from the NFL, who had been a former assistant. They've tried, you know, then they went for the big splash with Jimbo. And you can't really begrudge them at the time for taking the swing. Um, You know, one of the very few coaches who had actually won a national championship and to hire him from his school was a pretty big move. Just as it was, if you think about how crazy it was that they hired Dennis Franchione off a 10-win season at Alabama. I mean, to hire, to like, this is something that they've never shied away from. They had Bo Schembechler on the hook for like a day before he changed his mind. I mean, this is something that they've done forever. So I think, you know, in this case, it's, well, wait, you know, maybe it's time to reevaluate 
do we keep swinging for names? Uh, do we try to find the right fit? I think that's the, been the mood is like, what are we doing that's not working? Um, you know, R.C. Slocum is really the one man who has had sustained success there. And that's been 25 years since he won a conference title. Why do you think, Dave, the ambitions and investments have not met the realities of Texas A&M? I think it's a, you know, when I reported that story, uh, look, 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 I went to Texas A&M for two years and my family are all Aggies. Uh, my dad was a car dealer who was actually on the A&M wheels team that donated a car for one of Coach Slocum's assistants to drive. Like I've been oh. around for a while um, and it's been a frustration. You know, the, the, everything just never, nothing's ever just lined up right at the right time. You know, you had RC come along right after Jackie. Jackie kind of kickstarted. Jackie Sherrill kickstarted everything and sort of made them a professional, um, you know, organization. Um, and he beat Texas, you know, five times or whatever. And that had never happened. And then uh, RC takes over and has this sort of steady, sustained success. But the facilities fell behind. Um, they never really had the, you know, they had John David Crow as the AD for a while. Wally Grav was an accountant who was the AD for a while. Sort of like the ambitions were never met by a level of professionalism in the in the department for a long time. Now, you know, they were professional in a sense, but not in terms of big time football. So I think with Jimbo, that was the chance. Everything they had built the facilities, they'd redone the stadium. They had a, uh, you know, uh, athletic director that was in the place. Um, and it just that's been the most puzzling one. I think they hit right at the right time of an Alabama dynasty. George's rise, it's a tough thing. And nothing's just ever lined up just right. But the most impressive thing to me is that they've never, you know, they had 103,000 people in the stands for a game against a bad Mississippi State team with frustration. They don't give up. They're desperate for a winner. They really want to win. And I give them credit for that. And at some point, it's got to work. What, what did you make of Ross Bjork's comments? He obviously spoke for, for a long time. I caught some of it on the SEC Network last night. Um, thought it was pretty direct. You know, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty pointed, which maybe some athletic directors aren't. A lot of these guys just put out like, you know, eight word statements and, you know, thank the coach for their time. And he 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 put himself out there. I was curious what you uh, what you made of his uh, his comments, Dave. I thought it was what I took away that I thought was most interesting is him saying, you know, this was my decision. It was a recommendation. The president and I decided the board didn't vote. You know, I don't know what those deliberations were like in that room. But I do know that that's been the reputation, right, is that it takes a few boosters to make these moves. And 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 Ross is trying to say, hey, look, we're doing this the way it's supposed to be done in a professional way. Um, so I took the fact that he was willing to stand up and say this was my decision. And he also said the extension was something that he takes responsibility for, that they will learn from and try not to <laughs> try not to do again. But um you know, I don't know what that situation is like, but I do know that they're making a concerted effort to say, hey, look, we're doing this in a, you know, this is a one uh, line uh, situation and we're we're taking up, we're standing up and making the decisions ourselves. So the financial part of this, in my opinion, can't be overstated, right? It is not, it is like cartoonishly more than the 21.7 maybe that uh, Gus Malzahn got when he got fired from Auburn. Um and that was probably what three years ago now, because that was pre-Harson, maybe four years ago. Yeah. But that was considered gobsmacking at the time, 
right? And even when they fired Sumlin at AM and they owed him, was it 10 or 15 million? I think it was like 11. And 11. Herman yeah. was 15 down the road. Yeah. So, yes, exactly. And yeah. So those were considered like eye popping numbers, right? D- did he detail Ross Bjork in, in his press conference yesterday, Dave, how it would be paid for? Yeah. I was just looking that up because his quote was, the finances are monumental. So again, they're not um, they're not shying away from the fact that they know that this is a an insane number. Um, you know, he said the initial payment will be the nineteen point two will be within sixty days, which you wrote about. Um, he, you know, the Twelfth Man Foundation is this massive fundraising arm, uh, one of the best in the country at what they do. Um, as a matter of fact, on the on the field at halftime that day. The Twelfth Man Foundation presented Bjork with a giant, oversized check for 160 million dollars uh, to go for payments for athletic things. So that's something that that they have uh, long, you know, been a. Uh, it's been one of their their biggest uh, components down there. The Twelfth Man Foundation is really a massive thing. They will pay, uh, I believe, that initial payment, and then uh, Bjork said the athletic department will be responsible for the yearly payments. And they're going to which have is to, maybe seven million a year till thirty one, uh, like seven point two till twenty thirty one. And so he said, "Look, you know, it's like Bobby Bonilla is jealous of that." Pay I know. That's annually, what I was right? saying. I told someone last night they'll be making the Bobby Bonilla payments. But <laughs> the, uh, you know, that this is a athletic department that's one of the richest in the country. Um, he thinks the there's going to be new revenue streams in the next few years. Um, and he 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 said, "Yes, we will have to cut some costs and." and trim some fat in places, but we'll still be a championship-funded program. It's interesting because, you know, watching the press conference last night, he he went out of his way to point out that he was in charge, right? That was sort of the way that I that I took that. Yep. But also, there there's like, there was a four-hour executive session of the Board of Regents meeting where a lot of this was hashed out. They didn't talk about all four hours, but that was on that was on Thursday. And that's when this decision was essentially arrived at. Now, I'm not saying the regents voted or the regents made the decision, but that's where everything kind of squared up here. And it's it's interesting that you have you need the resources of boosters, 12th man foundation, et cetera, to make a payment like this. And I would just think inherently some of those people are going to have a pretty big sway in in decisions like this, right? Like that's sort of how power works in college athletics. Absolutely, and 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 even if they even if they didn't, they would have a decision about his job if they didn't feel like that he did it right. And so I think you're right. I mean, there's uh, these are the guys that you have to placate. These are the guys you have to listen to. These are the guys that ultimately decide most of what happens. And so. Yeah, I think that I took that away like you did with that, that, you know, Ross was standing up and saying, this was my call. I made the I made the decision. So, Dave, it's a magic question. Who do they hire? (laughs) It is a magic question. You know, I think going back to the earlier part about that, you know, uh, the, the past and all the things they've tried. I mean, I think at some point, look, Jimbo was not popular with the high school coaches in Texas at all. Um, You know, and Sark gets a little bit of that because they didn't hire a lot of high school guys on their staff. You know, like Jeff Trailer and Joey McGuire have seven or eight high school Texas high school coaches on their staff. Uh, Jimbo had zero. Sark has one in an off the field role. Um, So those guys uh, are not we're not we're never pleased with Jimbo's tenure. And that's that's kind of one of the things that happens down here. Um, But. Uh, you know, so part of that is you could 
go somebody that's going to rewire those connections. But in the NIL era, you don't necessarily need those guys to to love you. Um, so I think there's a chance that, you know, I, I, I guess that's the question, right? Is like, do you go for the big Dan Lanning name uh, who also has a massive buyout? Um, you know, he checks every box. Uh, you know, he even coached at Sam Houston State for a year before going to Alabama. He's been here. Um, or do you try you know, the old school, like I, I tell people all the time, if you look at Texas and Texas A&M who have had really, you know, Texas obviously had more success in the past. And um, the guys that have won there have been Daryl Royal, Mac Brown, R.C. Slocum, those kind of guys in, in this this part of the country. They all are a certain type of personality. They're not all from Texas, but they all sort of got that you have to you have to get everybody together. You've got to smooth over the egos. You've got to manage the people outside as much as you do inside. And so I, I, sometimes I wonder, like, maybe it's time to go back to one of those type of personalities. And I don't know, you know, it's a, it's a rough year for Sonny Dykes to try to make a, you know, to be in the mix. It's, you know, Jeff trailer is 22 and one in the last three years in the conference at UTSA. And he's doing it with nothing, with no indoor facility, no, not a lot of booster support. Um, you know, he's been to five state championship games as a high school coach. People love him. Um, people love Sonny because they love Spike and they love, you know, Sonny rebuilt SMU's uh, standing. But, you know, those are probably the Texas guys. And so it's a weird time. Like there's no that was always the question about this year. There's no there's no obvious. There's no Tom Herman or Kevin Sumlin in Houston. There's nobody sitting there um, that's on the rise that makes the most sense. And so um, it's kind of a it's going to be an interesting interview process. I imagine these guys are going to all have to lay out their plans and their, their and. You know, Bjork mentioned that multiple times. He didn't like the plan. He wasn't comfortable with the plan. He wants, and he's mentioned in hiring, he wants somebody with a plan. So I think that's going to be the case. Somebody's going to have to come in and say, look, they haven't won here in a long time, and here's how I'm going to fix it. What about Lane Kiffin? Yeah, you know, I I, I, I did think yesterday what, uh, what delight Lane must have in hearing Ross Bjork say that it was after the Ole Miss game when he decided to call the president. Um, because because Lane has noodled, you know, needled, uh, sorry, <laughs> needled uh, Jimbo at every turn, anytime he can, um, including, you know, two years ago when I was covering that game when they ran for 400 yards against him and Lane came out and said, wow, it's just amazing we could do that against all those five-star players, you know? And um, you have the NFL talent, NFL roster quote this yeah, year. Yeah, all those things. He loves to, he loves, loves, loves to point that out. You know, I'm I'm curious because Ole Miss – Obviously, um, you know, has has done well in the transfer portal as well. And they have a lot of talent and they're a top 10 team and they can't get over the hump either. So I do wonder, you know, is that going to be the knock that, you know, that's the same guy. It's just with a little more personality. Who would you hire, Dave? Boy, uh, that's tricky because I'm, you know, I'm a Texas guy. I like the Texas guys. I love the tradition. I love the Southwest Conference. You know, you like uh, Texas, Dave? Do you like Texas? I do. I do. I do. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) So that hasn't I, been clear I, from the subjects you tend to cover that you like Texas <laughs> football. I tend to lean into the fact that they need somebody who gets it. I mean, it is a look, it, you know, I I've watched since the sec era, whenever the Aggies go to a new town and everyone, you, you know, every time they go to a new city, the, the yell leader videos go viral and everybody's like, what is this? And I think the Aggies are just tired of being embarrassed. They're tired of being a laughingstock. They're tired of being the object of, you know, snark and they always have been that's why aggie jokes are a thing um and so you need somebody who's going to come in and be a 
be a uh, a people person, uh, be a be a guy that gets it, who understands it. And I think you open the doors to the state, and all of a sudden, I I'm curious as a national recruiting thing, and in the NIL era with the kind of money that they're throwing around, do kids that grew up in New Jersey or Florida or Pennsylvania that come to Texas A&M, and if they lose, does that affect them the way it does a kid that grew up here that wanted to play for the Aggies his whole life? Not you if know? the check's clear. Right. And so that's my thing. They go out and they get in their charger and their check's clear. And, you know, now look, and I'm sure they care. I'm not besmirching every kid, but I just think, you know, the best they've been is when they recruited Texas hard and developed those kids and, and, um, put a, put a product on the field that was proud and the, and the fans appreciated. I mean, the 12th man is a re a thing for a reason. Um, and so I, I tend to, I tend to lean toward the Texas guys. And so I'll leave it at that. I don't, I don't know. You think Jimbo gets fired if Connor Wegman doesn't get hurt? Um, I mean, he's lost, he lost four or more games in every year, except for 2020. I just don't think, Sure. I don't think that that was going to happen. I think, you know, you had somebody, I think it built up around him. You watch a, a chain go in the NFL and look like Marshall Falk. And you wonder why didn't he do that in college station? You know, his first game where he got extended action, he was MVP of the orange bowl. You see, you know, uh, you know, that, you know, there was a, uh, he was asked uh, just a couple of weeks ago, if he needed to simplify his offense for college kids. And he said, no, he's getting them ready for the NFL. But that's not his job. Your job is to be good in college. And um, and his NFL quarterbacks haven't really worked out. And so what is the point if that's the case? And so I think there was a growing sense of I'm not sure that this guy gets it. You know, Jimbo wears people down in terms of his aggressiveness and his, his desire to ask for more. And I think at some point it just, you know, the rubber wasn't meeting the road and it was time to move on. And I think that's why they arrived at a 70 whatever six million dollar decision. Do you think there's a talent exodus? You got the Walter Nolans, the Evan Stewart's, the uh, obviously Wegmans. Like, there's some good players on that on that roster. Um, okay. And I and again, the the dynamics of what their NIL deals look like, I'm not sure of. But do you think we see it that the talent flood out of there? Were they were were those high caliber players more attracted to the offers or to Jimbo? Yeah, I think they were to the offers. I mean, I think. I think there was a lot of concern within the building that that exodus was coming if they kept him. So that's huh. why that's why it made no sense. So look, it's really if you look at it, it's a nine million dollar decision. I mean, if they kept him another year, paid nine million dollars of his salary down, um, you were there's a potential opportunity that a lot of kids were going to leave. Um, Evan Stewart has been bandied about on message boards for two years. Um, they've managed to keep him. But, you know, they just don't – it's sort of like, you know, that the the big change to to get Jimbo to give up the offense and to hire a coordinator. You know, they weren't exactly lighting it up. They had their moments. But it's like there was some sense – did we go from a 1995 offense to a 2005 offense in 2023? You know, and so I think there's a chance that um, that you, they weren't going to – they they were going to lose some of that anyway. And so it's really a decision like, does $9 million – it's a lot of money to me and you – to a program that draws as much as they do and gets bowl revenue and potential playoff revenue. If they could put it together, does that money, do they make that back anyway? Um, and so I think that's really the calculus there. Let, let's shift gears to Saturday. You were in uh, Fort Worth for, uh, for Texas. 
really trying to give the way give away the game in the fourth quarter um, in a very Texas uh, Texas fashion. What, what what is your takeaway now of the Longhorns and and then we'll shift to Jonathan Brooks and and his injury and and what that ends up meaning because obviously his absence from the latter part of that game loomed. Yeah, I think um, you know that's one thing that Sark has been pounding the table about is that this team is versatile now. They did give up a big lead. I give some credit to that to TCU. They clicked the freshman quarterback dialed in. He was really good. You know, down, uh, you know, we get to go down the field for the last six or seven minutes being down there. It was as electric an atmosphere as there was last year at TCU. It felt like some of the magic was back. Um, and then that dagger, Ewers throws a dagger on third and 12 with just under, you know, two minutes left uh, to a 35 yarder. And it just rips their heart out. And so that's the difference when Texas, that's the difference in this Texas team is their strengths are, are their lines. Um, you know, they've added Mitchell was a, AD Mitchell was a huge add to, to worthy. Um, they each have had big days on different days now. And that was something they had to force the ball to worthy last year, but they're winning it on special teams. They're winning it on defensive stops. They're winning it, uh, you know, running the ball. Um, and so, yeah, they've had some big leads in the last two weeks slip away. Uh, they've struggled in the red zone for most of the year. It hasn't been pretty, but they keep winning. And that's the difference this year is that they find a way. You know, Joey McGuire had that viral speech that got caught last year where he mm -hmm. said, I told you they would break and they did. Uh, and he did not mean for that to get out, but it did. Um, and But that was the knock. That's been the knock. And this year's team does not do that. I mean, you had the one drive against Oklahoma that was brutal, um, but otherwise they've been able to hold on. And so, you know, you know, Mike, I was at Bedlam and Mike Gundy said, this is a pass-fail uh, sport. Either every week you you win or you lose and you pass or you fail. And um, I thought of that a lot watching Texas. It's like, as long as they keep winning, that's all that matters. So, uh, Dave, you've been kind enough to uh, drop by and we appreciate uh, you, you helping us and giving us some insight on your beloved state of Texas. I'm going to leave with a selfish question. Reese Davis and I have a friendly wager, a dinner wager, likely a steakhouse in Houston at the national title game wager. He says Texas is going to win out and go to the playoff. He thought Oklahoma's loss in Bedlam cemented them as a playoff team. I thought they would, to use Reese's favorite phrase, step on a rake at some point because we watched Texas step on rakes for a greater part of 15 years. So Bill Connolly actually gave us some good insight on the odds of this. Who will win the bet, Reese or me? And I think it's tough. I think it's tough for Texas to get there, especially. I mean, I think it's going to be a tough, tough game in Ames this week. Uh, but you look at the lineup against them there at seven. You know, obviously, Michigan, Ohio State will have a big say in that. But Oregon, Washington, you know, Florida State, I think there's a tough it's a tough slog to get there with the current state of the Big 12. I don't think the Oklahoma losses help Texas in that regard. Um, uh, you know, they lose to Oklahoma State, who gets absolutely blown out the next weekend by UCF. And, and that you know, that's, was wild, by the way. There's like the, yeah. eight, ten of those games a year where you're just like, whoa, we but did you. And that people, there's a lot of the national reputation of the Big 12 takes a hit. I think it's super fun and entertaining because it's like the crabs in the bucket and everybody's always trying to pull one back down. And you cannot, you go to these places where they care about football, where the crowds are loud, even if the team's not great, they just managed to put it together in one game or two like UCF did. And so it's going to be, um, it's going to be a slog to get through these last couple of games for sure.
All right. Well, Dave Wilson, we appreciate you joining us. I appreciate you uh, saving me a, uh, a hefty dinner tab in, in Houston with your uh, with with your prediction. We and don't know yet. We don't. We don't. That is why they uh, that is why they line it, line them up and play them. Uh, I'm going to leave you with this question. Who will be Texas A&M's next coach? One word answer. One name answer only. Oh, I mean, that's I don't. Yeah, I would say Lanning. I think Lanning is a is a say is a, if it checks every box. Now, all right, we'll see. Dan Lanning, it is our tech expert, Dave Wilson. We appreciate you stopping by the College Dame Day podcast. Appreciate it. The weekend review, which this week will be with the great Bill Connolly, is brought to you by Dr Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr Pepper, the one fans deserve. I just need a pocket square. I feel like I can I can do this Reese Davis thing. This hosting thing isn't that hard. Uh, we welcome our friend Bill Connolly for his weekly Monday spot on the College Game Day podcast. And Bill, who is the maestro of uh, predictive metrics and uh, and SP plus, we're going to throw that out the window, Bill. We're just going to talk the carousel <laughs> because the carousel, after a very quiet, it was the first time in a decade there hadn't been any firings at you know the November point in the season. Um, at least firings because of performance on the field. Right. Um, yeah. Mel Tucker got fired, but we don't need to go back there. Um, the uh, the 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 flurry that has come so far here on uh, on Monday afternoon, we saw the Jimbo Fisher fire Sunday morning. We saw Andy Avalos get fired um, later that day. And then this morning, Monday morning, uh, Zach Arnett was relieved of his duties at Mississippi State and Brady Hoke. Uh, told his team that he would be retiring. So these are four good, interesting jobs, um, different places. They, it's sort of like like a good little college football Yahtzee, right? If you can go from College Station to the Blue Turf to, uh, you know, the new stadium in downtown San Diego to, uh, you know, obviously Stark Vegas. Uh, a little bit of a uh, little bit of everything. Um, but, Bill, we must start in College Station. Dave Wilson just yeah. joined us. He predicts Dan Lanning will be the next coach at Texas A&M. I don't know if a $20 million buyout to hire Lanning would actually cost $30 million because of taxes, right? That's how the those buyouts tend to work. And there's ways that right. you know you can mitigate and all that stuff. That's a, Again, they just paid $76 million to fire the guy. So I'm not <laughs> going to put anything past them financially. Um, there's also an interesting question, too, that we can dive into here is, is Oregon in the Big Ten a better job than Texas A&M in the, right. uh, in, in the SEC? So, Bill Connolly, who gets the Texas A&M job? Yeah, I well, first of all, it should be Jeff Trailer. I think he's perfectly built in every call. possible way. Mm -hmm. Um, when you spend seventy million dollars to get rid of your last coach, I don't you I I assume there's some sort of baked in desire to make an enormous splash with the next hire, uh, which can then lead you to ma not making the best hire on the board. Uh and, and I think that probably penalizes trailer because number one, he's UTSA's head coach, not organs or anybody else's. And they started this year really poorly, had guys hurt. Um, they have caught fire over the last like what four to six weeks UTSA has. And I think, you know, trailers pulling off one of his better coaching jobs. They're still in, you know, they're still six and zero in the AAC in their first year there. Uh, not that they played anybody particularly impressive, but they will, they've got two lane coming up. So yeah, I, I think trailer would be perfect. I, I assume he is not at the top of the list because he's not a big enough name. And that seems to be the overpowering thing here. As far as landing goes um, you're right. I think, 
one of the things that it landed seemed to understand over the last couple of years was that I've got it really good. I've got, I can recruit really well and I'm in the PAC 12 uh, with an easier path towards the top. Uh, now he's not in the PAC 12. He goes from having the best team in the PAC 12 to at best in terms of my current rankings, the third best team in the big 10. And, and you can almost say that's kind of a peak situation for them. So now I would say, you know, if, if he's just looking at pure job security and uniqueness and everything else, maybe Oregon isn't as attractive as it was like six months ago in that regard. And maybe it is worth taking on the absolute hell that is coaching Texas A&M's football team where everybody assumes this is the one everybody, you know, it's, it's a great job, even though nobody ever succeeds at it. And, <laughs> um, you know, that's, I, maybe it does make it a little more attractive in that regard. What about Mike Elko? Everything fell apart at a after Mike Elko left. Yeah. Um, and obviously what he has done at Duke has been remarkable in a, in a lot of ways. I have to say you, you were probably watching. That was really the only good game Saturday, the only competitive yeah. game Saturday night. Yeah. So I think a lot of us junkies uh, found ourselves hooked on the ACC network uh, late at night to see if, if with a third string quarterback, <laughs> they could, you know, Duke could figure out a way to, uh, to beat Carolina and they didn't, yep. but um, you know, certainly that program uh, the sum has been greater than the parts. I think that's yep. probably the best way to sum it up. How, do you think Mike Elko could maximize Texas? I, I, I think, you know, though, you know, I said trailer because of his high school ties first, but uh, Elko would be at worst number two on the list just because, I mean, the we, we knew he was a good D coordinator, but now he's gone to Duke and inherited a very, very, a program that trailed off in terms of results and talent and everything else. They were kind of lucky last year. I was, I was kind of reserving judgment because they, they won nine games. There was a lot of turnovers luck in there. Um, the, uh, they ended up, I think, let's see, they ended up just 42nd in my SP plus rankings, which is still very, very good for Duke, but it wasn't like, it wasn't necessarily nine wins. Good. It was, it was, I, I wanted to see what he did this year. They're only six and four this year. I think he's pulled off an amazing coaching job. Uh, you know, he's made them competitive with three different quarterbacks. Now the defense is still good. Um, I like, they are just scrapping this year and and they should have won at North Carolina. Um, I'd, lo- I'd love to see that Louisville game or the, the Florida state game, especially with, with a healthy Riley Leonard. I think he's, he's proven a lot. I guess it comes back to the same thing. Like, you know, I always saw, you know, Willie Fritz, anytime his name is mentioned with, uh, you know, in, for this job and that job, the fans of that of that school are always like, oh, well, his, he's only 500 at Tulane or whatever. And I guess they could even, you know, ignoring all contacts that got him to 500. They at see the previous century of Tulane right. football before. He I got think it there. could be the yeah. same thing. Like, oh, he's only six and four this year. They're going to end up, you know, seven and five or whatever, eight and four, maybe. Um, and, and, and pretend like that's not impressive when he has done a remarkable job uh at duke so yeah if those are the kind of i, I know those are the three headliners uh, i think you know from an entertainment value standpoint i think lane kiffin is a very <laughs> obvious obvious yeah. move here uh i don't know if i would make that move personally but it, it would certainly be entertaining i but, think our bosses would like that move oh yeah yeah no that would be you know, just uh, for pure theater um and uh <laughs> rating jimbo and- fisher yes no. that that would be uh there would be some some comedy there <laughs> You mentioned uh, Willie Fritz, maybe think of Northwestern. Yeah. Um, so David Braun made a big statement on Saturday by blowing out Wisconsin. Uh, he has Northwestern five and five uh, after one and eleven last year. Yeah. Just I'd be curious, you know, you obviously are dialed in on the metrics. Like, just 
how different on paper is this Northwestern program year one under David Braun compared to last year under Pat Show? Yeah, I mean, defensively, they've rebounded. They'd fallen to 62nd in defensive um, SP Plus last year. They're back up to 36 now. The offense is, you know, a work in progress. Yeah. They're, they're, well, their quarterback's been hurt. You know, right. for since September 30th, he just came back. Ben Bryan on Saturday, and and they've overachieved projections pretty significantly two of the last three weeks, which is a good sign. And just ignore the Iowa game because that was always destined to be 17 total points or whatever. But that is, it seems like maybe like the ratings aren't good for the offense, just like they haven't been good for Northwestern's offense in almost a decade, I guess. But um, yeah, the fact that he's five and five uh, this season with now what is basically a 50, 50 shot of getting to bowl eligibility. Like yeah. I, I, Purdue, I, Illinois. Yeah. Purdue uh, from a number standpoint, they're, they're a slight projected favorite against Purdue and a slight projected underdog at Illinois. So when one of those two get to six and six, that is a ridiculously good coaching job this year, considering everything, well, considering the fact that the program hasn't been in good shape for a few years and then considering everything that happened in the offseason, that would be a, a really, really strong performance. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let, let's bounce around a little bit. One of the one of Bill's great attributes to ESPN is that he knows just as much about Louisiana Monroe as he does yeah. about Alabama. So we can uh, we can duck and dive through a few of these uh, through a few of these openings. Um, I guess we'll go chronological and how they opened and go to Boise <laughs> from here. Uh I, uh, I ended up filing our news story about the firing Andy Avalos and just dug in a little, little bit on Boise and just like, you know, ultimately Avalos didn't live up to the standard. He quite frankly helped yep. create as a player and an assistant coach there for almost a decade. Well, really almost 15 years total that he was there. So in five different seasons under Chris Peterson, Boise was ranked in the top five of the people. So not five different weeks, like five different seasons, uh, three Fiesta Bowl wins, uh, until Avalos's first season, they'd been ranked in 19 straight years. Um, they haven't had a losing season since I think 97 when they were in the big West and Dirk Cutter was the coach. I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> you, you yeah. want to talk about completely out, out kicking the, the, the means that your program should be Boise has done it for, for so long. And this is a little bit, what we've seen the last three years, a little bit of reversion to the mean, um, and I'm kind of curious, Bill, what you what you thought of the decision on Avalos and what you think about Boise going uh, going forward, where they made it clear they want to dominate the Mountain West. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, this is one of those hires like you have no idea how it didn't work. It seemed absolutely yeah. perfect on favor uh, on paper. Mm-hmm. He had all of the the background you want from a Boise State, you know, the the all conference linebacker, all that stuff. Plus, then he had gone to Oregon and succeeded as a defensive coordinator as well. So. It just seemed like this was the the perfect next step, the perfect uh, successor for Brian Harson. And I mean, it, it, the first couple of years were kind of strange. Like um, so 2021, he takes over. They rank 34th in SP plus, but they lose a lot of close games, only go seven and five. But that's still like you could point to like good defense, good special teams. Like, and they that lost a- that preposterous triple overtime rain <laughs> delay game at UCF. That's you remember right. that game? I forgot about the rain. Hank, um, I was at that game. That's one of the reasons I remember. <laughs> I, left, I left the stadium like two in the morning. Uh, Hank Bach, it, it was so Bachmeyer, lightning yeah. delayed that Bachmeyer zoomed into a class back at school <laughs> and he went viral for like you know showing up in his like shoulder pads and yep. eye black <laughs> that's so, right anyway random aside continue bill <laughs> yeah but i mean that and didn't they hold a big lead in that game too if they I did right, they jumped yeah. out like 21 nothing 21 three something yeah. like that it was a classic gus malls on win <laughs> like just 
Gus cannot win conventionally. He's incapable of it. Um, and that, even was, if that yes. means blowing out uh, Oklahoma yes. State this last year. Yes. yes. Even uh, the blowouts are unconventional with Gus. <laughs> But no, like I, after that first year, the results weren't that great. But you're like, yeah, I can this this. I think this is fine. And then last year, it was the exact reverse. They won a bunch of close games. They fell to 59th in SP plus while going 10 and four. So after two years, it was extremely conflicting impressions. I wasn't really sure what to think. The offense, I really liked Taylor Green, but the numbers just weren't very good last year. So th- it, there was a lot riding on this season, and they're five and five. Um, so I you know, three years in with a favorite son, like you could say, maybe that earns you a fourth year, no matter what. Um, But going five and five at Boise in this time where, you know, the playoff is coming up and and everybody, like, it feels like a big moment to be good at football. And Boise State's kind of had its worst two years now on paper that they've had in, in like two decades. So from that sense alone, I get it. I, I kind of, I was thinking he might get a third year just on name alone, but, or fourth year, excuse me. But I mean, yeah, you're five and five at Boise state. That's, that's always going to be danger zone. Give me a couple names, Bill. Who'd you hire? <laughs> well, who's left? Let's see. So, uh, you know, you got to put on your Boise state hat. Uh, let's see. Is Jared Zabransky ahead? No, I guess not. <laughs> um, you know, what's Kelly Jared Zabransky pull. That's right. Um, uh, you know what's Kellen Moore doing? How much money can you throw at him? That would be that would certainly buy you a lot of equity. But he's not he doesn't have much college football coaching yeah. experience at this point or recruiting experience. So what about I Kirby Moore. Yeah, I mean, as a as somebody who lives in Missouri and likes what Kirby, Kirby Moore is doing offensively, I'd prefer somebody else. But you know, it makes some it makes <laughs> some sense from a Boise State perspective. Um, but you do figure it is going to be interesting just from that perspective. Are they going to continue to try to keep things in house with a former Boise state player? Um, do they think it's that kind of special situation, special brew where you have to know everything or now that you're five and five and probably looking at a six and six finish seven and six in a bowl, whatever, like that's pretty average. Do you try to you know bring in something new from the outside? I'm, I don't know what the answer is there, but that's kind of the biggest question for me right now. Yeah, I haven't put a ton of thought in this, but just spitballing a few names like Ryan Grubb at Washington, who is in that league at Fresno, is going to be a is going to be a name in that footprint. Um, re- regardless, um, I'm just trying to tick off. I think Matt Wells could end up in the mix in some of these Mountain West jobs. He's at Oklahoma off the field, obviously has a good reputation in the Mountain West from his yep. time at Utah State and did nothing wrong at Texas Tech, by the way. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, that was funky. Uh, no, yeah. this would be my the funniest name I can throw out uh, would be current Idaho head coach Jason Eck, who is doing an amazing job at mm. Idaho. He's done probably great. probably not going to be uh, no, knowing the relations between Boise State and the University of Idaho. I doubt that happens. But if you're talking about successful coaches in the region, he is doing amazing things right now. What about Brent Vegan, uh, Montana State? Oh yeah. Um, super delightful offense. I'll say that much. Um, you never know, like those big sky guys or the big sky schools, like they Mm -hmm. just like really being in the big sky and seem to function really well in that kind of environment. So I don't know what his ambition levels are. Um, but their, their offense is super fun. Um, their defense is just to, you know, hit something really hard on every single play. Uh, it's a, like it's, it would, it, it, it's a style that will win you over. So yeah, I mean, if he's interested in such a thing, um, you could do a lot worse. He's a really, really fun coach. Yeah. Jeff Choate is a name, I think, you know, with some ties, if you're going to stay, if you're going to stay in the family, um, I mean, look, Brian Harson obviously is living there right now. Um, <laughs> that you know, is that remarriage uh, p- possible or not? And um, 
Here's a clever name. What about Justin Wilcox? Things aren't <laughs> great at Cal, right? Yeah. And th- that job became much harder. It was already hard. I think it becomes exactly. much harder in the ACC, right? And if you feel like you're treading water there, um, he was obviously a former Boise assistant, uh, yeah. has has strong ties there. Is there something to be said for go to Boise, win big, which <laughs> that program has shown it can do, and then maybe he moves back to another West Coast job? Or, or people have been happy at Boise too. Like let's let's not get it twisted. Like there, oh, yeah. There's a there's a bit. I mean, Chris Peterson. It's the old Brad Stevens. Don't mess with happy, right? Like Chris <laughs> Peterson was happy and yeah. stayed for a long time. Uh, Brian Harson, another graduate, happy, um, stayed for a long time. Uh, I, so I uh, I don't know. Those are just a couple couple interesting a uh, couple interesting names. I think that uh, that 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 you know they'll they'll be able to attract a good field there. Do you would um, think so? Yeah, and I, would, I know their NIL situation is is pretty high level for. Uh, group okay. of five Mountain West. Uh, and so maybe, you know, may, maybe this is a, a point where you can pivot back and invest a little bit more and still end up being Boise and winning 10 games a year. But this is a a major pivot point. I just, while you were talking about Wilcox, you were talking about like a stagnant situation. There's nothing more stagnant than this. Their last four years, uh, SP plus 72nd, 63rd, 77th, 67th. Um, mm. And in that time they've got, they flipped all the way around from, Good off or good defense, bad offense to good offense, bad defense. But um, that's that's about as average as you can possibly be. And I'm sure he knows a lot about coaching still, but it, it does seem like a time for for him to maybe get find a new opportunity. Let's go from Boise to Starkville here. Zach Arnett uh, didn't make it through one season there, uh, about a four million dollar buyout, but he'll. He could end up as USC's defensive coordinator, by the way, right? Yeah. Like that's you know he, there'll be a good market for him as a DC. I'm sure his DC metrics in your system were were pretty oh, fantastic, yeah. you know, during his time, both at uh, both at San Diego State and at uh, Mississippi State, and he was also at Syracuse for like four days, I think. So um, don't know how much impact he uh, he actually had uh, he actually had there. Um, but when you uh, when you when you take a step back and look at Mississippi State, who 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 jumps out to you there, Bill? I this is such this is one of those jobs where I like you know it's a great opportunity and also you don't you maybe don't wish it on somebody um, because it's so hard to get everything. Like Joe Moorhead was the prototype uh, hotshot offensive coordinator. Uh, he came in, knew, knew, you know, he was an outsider, needed to hire some local guys, some SEC ties, and and did a, a, what I thought was a pretty solid job. He was run out in two years. Um, you know, Mike Leach obviously was his own unique thing. But, yeah, Zach Arnett comes in, tries to change, make tweaks to the identity for this team, and that was always going to be a hard thing to do about Mike uh, without Mike Leach, and, and that falls apart pretty quickly. So, I mean, what as far as criteria go, you know – who, what kind of P5 level experience, co- head coaching experience is available right now in the, in the market as it currently stands? A guy who would be willing to go to Mississippi State because, uh, you know, that experience level paid off for Mike Leach, but it's it's been tricky otherwise. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really hard place to win. I would think my first phone call would be to Dan Mullen. He's the <laughs> best coach in school history, Yeah, right? I mean, maybe there was some dude in the 40s or whatever, but like, Oh, there's I mean, always a dude in the 40s. There was always yes. a dude in the 40s. Yeah. Yes. No. That's, um, yeah. I don't know what his 
ambitions are at I this don't moment. He, he's, yeah. you know, he, he, I know he seems to be enjoying calling the uh, games, but does um, a great job, right? It's great. Yeah. Good, good employee. So certainly not wishing him off our payroll. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be clear about that, but just, if you say, how do, how do you figure out a really hard job? Well, he, he did it, did yeah. it for a decade, did a really, did a really good job there. And understood. You need to run the quarterback understood recruiting and development, right? It's a developmental job. They put a ton of guys in the, a ton of guys in the pros. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at Mississippi State, you know you're going to be able to, you know, you should be able to recruit very, very high-level, very large linemen um, yep. who, who, you know, maybe are overlooked by bigger schools. That You're always going to have that access. And if you're Dan Mullen, you'll probably have access to a good, solid set of quarterbacks as well. It is kind of interesting. I mean, he was run out of Florida in part, you know, as Kirby Smart said a couple of weeks ago, he stopped recruiting or whatever. Well, he knows Didn't how like to, recruit to recruit to Mississippi yeah. State. He. Oh, yeah. he, he knows how to get the high three-star guys um, who, who can help him. So, yeah, if that was his level, if that was his kind of job, I guess it is open again now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about Willie Fritz earlier. I would just think locally that's yeah. going to be, you oh, know. There, love Willie. Yeah, there's going to be some uh, there's going to be some pressures there. The guys won everywhere, right? Every single step. Juco, D2, yep. uh, Sunbelt. So... <laughs> You got to yeah. think an old an old crafty hand like Willie could you know could figure out a uh, could figure out a way to win there and um, I think nearby John Sumrall has done an unbelievable job at Troy. Yeah. Um, you know I, I take I would... such a liking to some of these schools and I love the job they're doing that I almost don't I, I don't want to like yeah Sumrall you would be romantic great, no, Bill Connolly you romantic right. let him stay at Troy a while he's doing such a yeah no he's um, he has SEC experience obviously um, and knows the very specific area that Mississippi State is located in um, seems to do a really seems to have a good feel for roster management uh, just in terms of what you know bringing in all all the different pools of available talent transfers and JUCOs and everything else uh and and at mississippi state having those ties already that would certainly be um yeah w- willie and, and Summerall both i love what they're doing where they are and so it makes me kind of hesitant but they both be uh very logical hires yeah no it's a uh it, it, it's it, it's interesting i do feel like you have to be a little bit different there right yes. like leach leach was different had some <laughs> success arnett was different on defense um had some had some success um you know, Mullen running the quarterback, uh, Scott Strickland told me this when he was the athletic director there 10 years ago when Mississippi State was hot. He said when they've been good, they've had an offense where the quarterback runs the ball like they yeah. need that as an equalizer. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And you look like it's just the SEC is not getting any easier with, with Oklahoma <laughs> and Texas coming yeah. in. So you need to you need to find a way to uh, to, to separate yourself there. I, I so. guess really uh, the fact that, it, you know, there are ditching divisions, maybe that makes it easier for Mississippi State specifically. Not so yeah, much that's other teams. Fair. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's um, again, this it does feel like everybody's going through this pivotal kind of we we got to get our act together right this very moment kind of uh, existential crisis right now. And it was it, it lulled me to sleep. We we went so long without a firing yes. uh, in this regard that I was not prepared for for what happened yesterday morning. Yes. Uh, trying to write a recap column, and every time I, I look away, somebody else got fired or something crazy yeah. happened. So that was yeah. we're, we're making up for lost time here. Great college football philosopher Kate Thamel has long observed <laughs> coaches get fired on Sundays. Yes. 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 Jimbo cost me a trip to the trampoline park with uh with little oh. Teddy. Oh, oh no. Well, yeah. you know, costs, you know, that's yes. 
Yeah. No, I would I would love to go to the trampoline park. You know, <laughs> see that little see that little rascal run around and bop around a little bit. But um is what it is uh it is what it is. Uh San Diego State is a really interesting moment right now. Like yes. what a what a wild ride that athletic department has had in the last year. You have a you have a, a final four um, you know, uh, national semifinal buzzer beater, magical run. You have one of the great programs in all of college basketball for the last 15 years. Um, one of the great environments. And now you have this brand new football stadium, the last jewel you want um, to, you know, as you aspire to join a league that no longer exists. <laughs> Right. Like what a what just a what, what a weird run. And you talk about the scramble to stay out of the margins in college athletics. Like, is there this great divide coming? You know, right. they, they build this new three hundred million dollar stadium right right around covid. They barely sneak it in and here they have it. And now all of a sudden nobody's going because they're losing. So Brady Hoke retires Um and that program in a market where you have the Padres in a market where you have the beaches, right? The the horse track, like they are in a competitive environment to draw fans. It's just not, if you grow up in San Diego and if you go to San Diego state, you're not going to all seven, eight home games every year. It's just not the, it's just not the way that town is wired. So um, who do you hire bill to bring some juice to San Diego state? The, the scoringest coach in the market, wh- whoever that is, like the last that's been, you know, you, we all have our ties to history here. San Diego State's tie main tie is, uh, you know, Don Coriel and Marshall Falk and all this super exciting ball last six years, even when they were good last six years, the offensive SP plus rankings, 108, 120, 118, 91, 117, and currently 109. Like even wow. when they were winning, they were playing dreadful, unwatchable football, unless other, other than, you know, if you like a good run game, they did have that going uh, for, for a while there. Well, but, they had some unbelievable running backs. They had like yeah. back-to-back guys who started four years and ran for 10,000 yards. Right. And it was like, it was like uh, chase Brown at Illinois last year, even with the, 2000 yard rusher or whatever their offense still stunk but he was able to chew up yardage and and that couldn't be fun at times but they just they got to modernize the the offensive side of the ball that's the number one thing like it's one thing to be bad it's another thing to be bad and completely unwatchable and that's they've been unwatchable for a while now they're bad and unwatchable and that's just uh you got to reverse that you gotta if you want to put butts in seats score points i think is the uh the, the main advice I have, especially being in San Diego, um, you know, Southern California, plenty of plenty of offensive prospects in that area. Go find some. Uh, so, yeah, whatever the candidates list is currently, whoever scores the most points, hire him. What about Harson there? I mean, he, he was certainly he was more pragmatic. He wasn't just straight up high flying, but uh, obviously Boise had talent, enough talent advantages to score a solid number of points for a while. So, I mean. You know, if you want to tie, you know, offense plus experience, he certainly has a draw to him. What G5 coach? Because San Diego State's the best G5 job, right? That or Boise. The the two best G5 jobs are. Who would bring the most high-flying offense that's a sitting head coach right now? That's a good question. Let's see. Um uh, as I sneak a peek at my spreadsheet, yeah, you can sneak a peek. To, it's not to, cheating you if you know, wrote it. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, he has no ties whatsoever to the area, and I think he he would not go. Jamie Chadwell is the best offensive mind, yes. I think, around. Well, he's a great uh, now, name uh, yeah. at Mississippi State too. Let's well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I I thought it was interesting that he took the Liberty job. He he had some good foresight there because. 
you know, I, I don't know what his logic was. I didn't talk to him before he signed those papers, but go into a school that's moving to Conference USA where you're going to have the best facilities and the most talent and everything else, and you're probably going to run rough, roughshod with your awesome offense. That was a good move on his part. I think his stock has yeah. only, only grown, but... Not um, losing helps your stock if you just don't lose. Just generally speaking, yeah. Um, otherwise, I mean, UCF uh, obviously isn't mid-major anymore, but they still always have the ties to tempo and and good offense. And, you know, whoever the offensive court, who is his offensive coordinator at this moment? Just p- put him on the list, whoever. No, it's Darren Hinshaw, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. He brought in Hinshaw. Um, they're good. Boise State has uh, still has a pretty nice offense this year. It was the defense that kind of left them behind. Yeah, Bush um, Hamden's there. So yeah, Hamden's there, and he obviously, you know, at Missouri last year, he he kind of had a key role in them improving late in the year as well. So that he's got a name. I don't know if they're interested in Boise names. Uh, you know, I, I who knows what the the background is there, but Grub uh, maybe. Is, I know they're not G five, but Grub, right? Yeah. No, I mean. I realize it's kind of, I said, you know, California, you know, lots of good recruits in California, not a lot of good offenses in California at the moment. So you can't just automatically uh, pull from one of those, but no, I'd like to, I'd like to know, I'd like to think they're going to invest a a solid amount in this moment. Um, But they just, yeah, it's all about offense for me at at that job right now. Yeah. Um, You would think in the portal era, quarterbacks would want to go there, right? Like you would think you would think they wouldn't need a safety converted to quarterback. Yeah. Right. Like you would think there would have to be uh there would there would have to be something. Um what else do you think opens, Bill, since we're since we're in the <laughs> carousel here? Where where else do you think we may be uh looking? My alma mater likely likely will open in the next week or two. Uh Syracuse, another place yeah. that's sort of been vexing um for the last uh you know, for, for the last generation, other than that, they had a dollop of success under Doug Marone and then one really good year under Dino Babers. Um, it's been a hard place to find sustained success. Um, yeah. Anywhere else you think? Uh, well, it is kind of interesting. Just like a lot of the teams um, at the bottom of the list right now in a given conference, either they have veterans, successful veterans who, pro- who might or might not be on the hot seat yet or yeah. first year guys who probably aren't either. Um, sure. But, but like, you know, what's the Narduzzi situation at Pitt right now? Because they have um, fallen apart with with quickness. And, and you know, you're two years away from a, a conference title. Him and Aranda both at Baylor. Like, those are yeah. two, two jobs that um, they fell off after a conference title and then dramatically picked up speed in their follow-up this uh, – this past there was this current season, especially at Baylor, they were pretty unlucky last year with one score losses. Now they're just losing. Um, and, and so that's, those are kind of interesting jobs. The Baylor dive really came out of nowhere. And if yeah. they don't have that completely maniacal comeback against UCF, almost like right. a historic comeback against UCF, they're really in worse straits. Yeah. That was, that was kind of a turning for, for both teams. That was yeah. kind of a turning no, sure. point because UCF, I, UCF's been underrated all year. They've been a rock solid team, but they're still sitting there five and five. Uh, that could have skyrocketed them. And yeah, Baylor's otherwise looking at two and eight or whatever. Uh, I am curious about that. I'm curious about the newcomers that are struggling in the big 12. Obviously since he's on a first year head coach and, and like I said, UCF's been unlucky, but BYU and Houston, neither of them, especially BYU. I, I think they thought they might do a little, 
they might just look a little better. They're five and five, so they can still pull off a bowl game. They just have not looked very good for most of this season. And I'm curious what happens there. What about Minnesota? They've been the most inexplicable, inexplicably disappointing team to me. I thought they were going to have a top 10 or 20 defense. Um, their yeah, the offense, defense is really falling off. Joe Rossi did yeah. an unbelievable job. On yeah. That and they just don't the have it this year. Yeah. Um, and I, as far as I can tell, like injuries have, and they haven't been able to control the ball on the ground. Remember yeah. they lost the two tailbacks, Irving, and then they lost another tailback to the portal. And yeah. I feel like a lot of their defense was because Mohammed Ibrahim just gobbled up yards. <laughs> right. It didn't hurt. Yes. Um, and they, they, they played good complimentary football. Um, but they've dropped about 30 spots on both offense and defense in my numbers this year. And they're just not, I, this was a perfect time for them to, you know, watch oh, yeah. the big, big 10 West crumble to the ground and walk to a title. And they're, they're not even going to come close. They got to rally to, they got to beat Wisconsin to make a bowl. And and that's not something I saw coming. I, I mean, I would assume he's bought enough goodwill from nine and four seasons to not be on the hot seat. Yeah. He no, might... he's not on the hot seat at all. I mean, he's got a, a good contractual, long contractual protection. Yeah. Um, that's a defy gravity job, Bill. You know, he's defied gravity there. It's a place that I really guess. hasn't won much in a in a in a century. So um it'll be interesting to see those lower tier Big Ten jobs and how by asserting four programs better than the lower tier, it you know, they're affected by it. Yeah, that's also a spot where, you know, we're, I was talking about existential crisis earlier, like a lot of the bottom half of the Big Ten is going is to be wondering about itself here in the in yes. the coming months, and uh, I'm curious what exactly that means. Obviously, you know, Indiana um, is kind of showing signs of life late in the year, but maybe yeah, that's been enough. interesting. Like um, it, it's yeah, because they have a twenty million dollar decision on right. Tom Allen. And he's showing just enough that if they don't want to, if they don't want to spend that money, because they have overachieved. Yeah, like they were, it's a huge drop. I I believe. It's seven point five million or something like that after next season. Okay, yeah, so that's a that that's might... a significant amount of money. Like, look, money paradigms have been blown out of the water. Before the yeah. season, I, I did a column on ESPN Plus that basically said this should not be a busy year in the carousel. But don't believe that because we say that every year and it always ends up pretty busy. But right. if it was going to be a busy year in the carousel, it some moves would have to happen that defy historic norms in terms of buyouts, <laughs> and we've seen one so yeah. far. But yeah, if Indiana no pays now. Auburn money in buyouts, then we've really like that almost might be crazier than AM. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. I mean, we, yeah, we are certainly living in paradigm shifting times, obviously. Yes. But no, the last three weeks they have, um, they've overachieved by my projections by 17 points per game the last three weeks. Yeah. Um, and and that OC that, shakeup really was a nice move by yeah. Tom. You know, I mean, I, I was curious about why he made that hire to begin with. I didn't love that, too, but, but he saw the error of his ways, knew he had no time to waste uh, and made a move. Now they have, they'll have at least a chance in each of the last two games. Obviously they're not you know going to get to six and six, but they've got a solid shot at four, four or five wins, which if you told me that a month ago, I would not yeah. really have, uh, have guessed that. So when they were in overtime with Kent, himself. that didn't seem very likely, right? Was oh. it Kent? Uh, Akron, Akron. Oh, Akron. Yeah. Sorry. They were in overtime with Akron. My apologies. Yeah. And I know they had injuries. They were showing a little defensive promise early in the year. So, yeah, I mean, if you're just really not wanting to write that big check, um, I think you can kind of spin this to where maybe they can build on something and push towards six and six next year or something. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been that that whole bottom half of that conference is going to be kind of interesting to track these next sure. couple, uh, these next couple of years, I think. Yeah. Well, have we fired enough coaches, Bill. I'm I'm all for it. like I you know I, I like I said writing a recap column while the world is you know going crazy around you with firings. That's always kind of tricky. It's always disorienting. So I'm all for just not firing anybody else. 
All right. That's uh, that's fair. Um, yeah. Maybe we can get to the trampoline park on a Sunday. That's right. So, um, all right. Well, that is uh, that is all for the College Game Day podcast today. A uh, you know we miss Reese Davis. He'll be uh, he'll be back with us on Wednesday, and then obviously for our Friday picks pod with Stanford Steve Ryan McGee will join us on Wednesday as he always does. Bill, uh, appreciate you and appreciate your time today, and uh, thank you for uh, helping helping me execute coaches around the country from their jobs. Right. Uh, anytime.